0: Alright, so first off, for those of you who have given already today, let me give you a a lay of the the land. Let me give you a a map of what we're going to do. We're going to have the the word right now. Right after that, we'll shave heads. I don't suspect that will go too fast or too slow. And then we'll have lunch together. And we've got some stuff over here, buttons and shirts and things like that. And it's just going to be a great time. We have a basket raffle. We have fresh delivered donuts from Krispy Kreme that you can win in a raffle. These are for real legit Krispy Kremes, hand delivered by Kristen Muir. Thank her very much for that because that was awesome. Um, And uh, you know, gastric bypass be darned. I Might have to just put a ticket in that Or, or just bribe somebody to give me a quarter of one. That's about all I can handle. Um, that being said, that's kind of what's going to happen. We'll, uh, uh, we'll have those tickets for sale later. Dollar a piece, five bucks for more. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and that'll be it. We'll do the drawing while you're here. If you're not, you can put your phone number on there. We'll give you a call. But that being said, kids, you can go back to church with Kristen and Justin. Luciana, good to see you this morning. Okay. How many people here like wrestling? Like, not like Greco-Roman-style wrestling. I mean the real stuff. WWE, WWF, WCW. Well, I don't, just in case you were wondering. I do not, but when I was a kid, I really did. One of my favorite wrestlers was a man by the name of Rowdy Roddy Piper. Do you remember him? He recently passed away. Used to wear a kilt, wore a shirt that said Hot Rod. He was very arrogant, very tough as nails, just, Loved him, thought he was so cool. Well, he became an actor later on, and he was in a movie called They Live. Anybody ever seen the movie They Live? Horrible B movie, classic. If you get a chance to watch it, go right ahead. But let me give you the plot, okay? Rowdy Roddy Piper's just a normal guy who stumbles upon this cardboard box, and in this cardboard box are some sunglasses. And so he's like, okay, cool sunglasses. Well, he puts them on, and when he puts them on, he notices that it's like a filter. He can see people, but he can also see aliens that are disguised as people. What he comes to find out is that slowly but surely, aliens have been infiltrating the earth and disguising themselves as humans slowly taking over. He looks at big billboards and they've got these subliminal messages that that humans don't see but they kind of see and it's forcing them into this kind of this herd mentality where they can just be gathered up and I forget what happens to the people but, but he alone in a small group know the truth. And so it's up to him, and I think Lewis Gossett Jr., uh, it's up to them to form this like, band, this militia, to go out and take the earth back and to, and to, to expose the aliens for who they are so that the, the earthlings can be victorious. Now, I won't give away the ending, but I'm pretty sure R- Rowdy Roddy Piper wins. Now, why am I sharing that with you? Number one, uh, because it was a good movie, uh, a good bad movie, if you know what I mean. But number two we've gotten to a place in the book of 1 John where John is speaking about those who were with us but not really of us. They are people who have come into the church and they look like the church and they sound like the church and they say the right things and they do the right things, but somewhere along the line, it's exposed that they're not really of us. And sometimes we as people, we go one of two ways on this. We go way far to the left and we allow everything to just happen or we go way far to the right and we, we, we start trying to expose everybody's faults. One, both of them in the name of unity, but really neither one of them fulfilling the purpose of Christ. Let's read the scripture and then we'll get into what the message that the Lord has for us today. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 says, children or little children, as the King James says, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And verse 19 will be our focus today. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you, will, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. It is our goal not to be too far to the left or too far to the right, but to walk that straight and narrow path that the message of the message that's laid before us so that, so that we are grounded and rooted in your word, our hope finding its foundation in the eternal promise of the life that you've given us. So I pray, Lord, Jesus, keep us on that path directly behind you as you lead us in Jesus' name, amen. So contextually, 1 John is going after a very specific group. They're known as the Gnostics. The Gnostics started off with good doctrine. They they taught that Jesus was, uh, or that God is spirit. And the Bible tells us that, that God is spirit. But they said, as a result, Jesus was only a spirit. And so they denied his death, burial, and resurrection. They, They simply said it was just a spirit that laid down and got back up. And then also because God is spirit and and we too are spirit, that our flesh will one day perish and the Bible tells us that. But that since the flesh will perish one day, you can do whatever you want with the the flesh. So you can commit uh, sexual sins and you can commit adultery and you can be gluttonous and you could lie and you could steal and you could basically live a hedonistic lifestyle where pleasure is the epitome of all things in your life. And it doesn't matter because at the end, the flesh will perish and the spirit will live on. The spirit will be clean because it's separate from the body. And as a result, you're made right with God. Well, if you've read the Bible, you understand, okay, some of that sounds biblical, but then the rest of it doesn't. And so their way around that and teaching that, the Gnostics would say, well, this is secret knowledge. This is, this is knowledge only a select few have access to. We've, we've kind of climbed the ladder of knowledge and as the Lord grants us more knowledge and wisdom, well, we just hope that you too can reach that level of wisdom. You're just gonna have to take our word for it. And if you've ever watched anything about religious history anytime anybody says just take our word for it, it ends very badly. Sometimes it ends with you going to places like Ghana and drinking Kool-Aid and dying in mass suicide because you just took somebody's word for it rather than reading the word for yourself. And the Gnostics were, they were going in there and they were infiltrating and they were taking people out of the church and then eventually leaving. And John's addressing all of this because the question is, well, well. Were they Christians and then they turned away from Christianity and they, and they renounced sort of their salvation? Or, or are they still Christians? Or, or, or is there a third option that we haven't explored yet? And So John has to address this. We as Christians, we, we are busy holding doctrine up to the light of scripture. What that means is when there's a new teaching that comes out or, or something that's a, a fad or something that's very popular, it might be good, but we must hold it up against the scriptures. If somebody writes a book and it sells a million copies, okay, lots of things have sold millions of copies. The Spice Girls sold millions of albums and their music is basically sugar. So it doesn't mean that there's quality behind it. It just means that people got caught up in a phenomena. Not a lot of Spice Girls fans here. That's good. Um, <laughs> Just because a book sells a million copies or 10 million copies doesn't mean that it's telling you the truth. It just might mean that it's tickling the ears of the people who are reading it. It's telling people what they want to hear. The Gnostics were telling people what they wanted to hear. Oh, you want to sin? It's okay because the flesh will die anyways. Oh, really? So I can do whatever I want? Basically, yeah, do whatever you want. Secret knowledge. I, I got that from Jesus himself. Oh, okay. And they've now directed a multitude of people to go live in sin. But before we get into that, I want you I want to give you a warning against an us versus them or an us versus they mentality. Because we could fall into that trap so quickly when people start not looking like us or sounding like us, we we then start to question their salvation and their christianity. And so we start drawing all of these unnecessary lines everywhere. We start instead of looking for ways to unite, we start uh, shining lights on why we are divided, and as a church, I look around. We couldn't be more different as a group. Um, well, we all look white. I mean, that's pretty much that's we got that going on, you know, collectively. But. Other than that, I mean, we're male and female, we're older and younger, we're, we're athletic or we're, we're, we're more intellectual or we're emotional or we're, we're, uh, you know, black and white. We're just, we're into NASCAR, we're into football, we're into this TV show, that TV show. We're all different. We come from different backgrounds, blue collar, white collar, you know, uh, work with your hands, work with your mind. I mean, we're all different and that's okay. We as Christians were called to unity, but not uniformity. This is why we all don't dress the same on a Sunday morning. It's why we don't sing the same songs as every other church on a Sunday morning. It's why uh, we express ourselves freely on a Sunday morning. Some of us raise our hands. Some of us just kind of quietly contemplate the music. It's why uh, our messages, um, honestly, a little more freeform. Some folks follow a very strict script throughout their whole year. And, and, and we do not do that. We might have a sermon series like we have now, and that's sort of our roadmap for the next few months. Um, but at any given time, the Holy Spirit can give us a message, and, and we might need to hear that more than some plan we have. And so when it comes to division, we have to be careful what we're dividing over. Style of worship or style of dress or what time or day we worship or how loud or quiet we are or, or or you know what what we do in our free time these are not things that we should divide over if those things aren't sinful well you know you're you're a, you collect antiques and i shoot heroin we're just different no 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 one of those is very sinful the other one's collecting antiques that is where division must happen meaning meaning we have to separate Good from bad or good from evil. You know, you collect antiques. I like to collect, you know, uh, sports memorabilia. Okay, two different things. Neither one good nor bad. We're different in that way. I like heavy metal music. I like folk music. Well, good for both of you. There's actually a genre of folk metal you guys can both come together on. I think that's a good thing. Neither one of those should look at each other and say, I'm more spiritual or more uh, saved than you are. But when, but when it comes to false teaching, this is where we have to be very careful. We have to be careful that we aren't going around calling everyone a heretic and a blasphemer, but we cannot be afraid to call out false doctrine and false teaching as well. We live in a culture now where some of the best-selling Christian books in our nation are filled with, with good sayings, good cliches, motivational ideas, but they're drawing people away from Jesus. I could care less about your motivation if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, Tony, I just wanna feel better about myself. Well, I want you to know Jesus. and I guarantee you, if you know him, you will start to feel better about yourself. Well, my self-esteem's so low. Well, okay, well, get to know Jesus and watch what he'll do to your self-esteem. He'll start to make you realize, hey, I'm not that great, but that's okay because he's really great. And so I can put my faith and hope in him, and that makes me feel a lot better. That makes me filled with a lot more hope than everything else that this world has to offer. And so there's this fine line that we're walking where we're, where, as Jesus put it, we're as gentle as doves, but we're as wise as serpents. Meaning, Meaning we go about and we're loving. That's our aim. We're looking to love any and every person that we can friend or foe, we want to love that person with everything that we have. But at the same time, we're also mindful of the world that we exist in. That the world is out there and they don't really like us as Christians. They love that we give and they love that we serve, but they don't love that we have declared Jesus as our God. Not just a good teacher, not just a a holy man, but every bit God as much as God the Father and the Holy Spirit is God. And so, John says, one of the evidences of these folks is they went out from us, but they weren't from us. They left not just, not just a church. Like people leave South Bay Chapel sometimes, and that's okay when they say things like, you know, I, it's just, I don't know if we fit here. And that's Okay. We don't expect everybody in all of America to come to South Bay Chapel. They're more than welcome to. But if there's another church that fits their needs or serves them or whatever, or they find a place to serve in, well, then that's great. We're all team Jesus, and that's all right. When they leave under, you know, oh, well, I don't like you because of this, or I don't like you because of that, or you're not, you know, when there's divisiveness, you know, that's a different story. We're not talking about folks who might go to another church because of tastes or, callings or whatever. We're talking about folks who are teaching false doctrine and then leading people astray. And this is something that as shepherds, as pastors, we take seriously because it's the equivalent of a wolf coming in and taking a sheep from the flock. And Jesus said that going after that one was worth leaving the 99 behind to go chase that one and to bring them back from the thicket. And so John is doing that. He's being pastorally. He's shepherding the people. He's saying, look, those people who went out from you were teaching this Gnostic nonsense, it's evident that they went out from you because they left. And why did they leave? Because at some point somebody stood up and said, hey, that's not what the word says. And John himself confirms that. John being an apostle of Jesus, one who walked with Christ, one who lived to the ripe old age of of his mid to late 90s, and not through lack of trying, they attempted to martyr him for his faith, but he just wouldn't die. The exile into the Isle of Patmos, where where Jesus gives them the book of Revelation, and, and John comes back, writes this letter to the church, and says, Look, that teaching that you're hearing, that's not the teaching that Jesus brought. Hebrews chapter 13, I believe it is, and I could be wrong, but it says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The writer of Hebrews says, Look, when you go to the Word of God, when you go to a teaching. Look for the consistency, not just in the last five minutes or the last five years, but for the last 2000 years and all of the canon of scripture, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when you hear something contrary to what the word of God says about Jesus, you can be sure that that's not Jesus. Well, I think Jesus wants me to be rich or I think Jesus wants me to be poor. Well, let's go to the word, let's see. Jesus seemed to be poor, but yet he never had need of anything. I'm gonna say it's right down the middle somehow well, I think, I think Jesus was a good teacher, but I don't think he was God. Well, he himself tells the, the Pharisees when they're trying him on the night of his crucifixion, when they say, are you the son of God? He says, it is as you say. And that's just one time where Jesus confirms that he indeed is the son of God. He also points to the fact that he does these like outrageous miracles. You know, things like bringing people back from the dead and healing the sick and, and giving sight to the blind and giving hearing to the deaf. He points to those things and says, look, that's your evidence of who I am. going back to, to unity versus uniformity for a really good lesson on that. I mean, just look at the the disciples. These are 12 men who couldn't be more different. I mean, they had some similarities, some were fishermen, but some were tax collectors. This would be some were blue collar, some were white collar. One of them was a zealot. That means he was very politically active. It means he was, he was, uh, remember the whole Occupy Wall Street thing that we had a few years back? Well, he'd be at the head of that. He was looking to take down the Roman government. He was, a, he was a religious and political zealot. There was men like Peter who seemed to be very strong voice but always said the wrong thing. Or, or he always vacillate between being very strong and then being very weak. Paul's got to call him out in the letter of the, to the Galatians. He says, look, Peter, you act one way before the Jews and you act another way before the Gentiles. You're hanging out with the Gentiles, Jews come around, you try to like, oh, I wasn't with those guys. I was just asking for directions. We weren't really talking about anything. And Paul's gotta call him out on that. You know, look at somebody like Paul. Paul was, Paul was a man who, who was going around and he was killing the church and then Jesus changes him and now he's the, the biggest proponent for the church. We're not all going to be the same and that's okay. But we must be united on Jesus. Nothing else may bind us, how we dress, how we talk, how we congregate, but, but if we are all focused on Jesus and the truth of him, this is our goal. This is who we hope to be. Now, when it comes to being a Christian, that's, that's our next big question. Well, then what does it mean to be a Christian? What does that look like? What are the qualifications? Is there a list or is there a criteria? Anybody here ever have the joy of working at McDonald's? Just me. Okay. Oh, my wife did too. We're alumni. I worked there for a very, very long two months. Hated it. Um, Sarah lasted a lot longer than I did. I did not care for it. Here's why. They'd be like, okay, go to work. I'd stand in front of a grill and go, do you want more burgers or is this enough? Just make burgers. But how many do you want? Do you want 10, 20, 30? Do you want a hundred? Like how many do you want right now? Just make burgers. Okay. I'll, I'll just make burgers. That's too many burgers. I asked you, tell me how many you want. Okay, fine. I'll go to the fries. I'll go to the fries. How many fries do you want? Just make. Is, can you just give me some boundaries and parameters to know what you expect of me in this moment? You're paying me six bucks an hour. Can you just give me a little bit here? This was a different time. They pay a lot more now, I guess, but I did not like that at all. I wanted more structure. I wanted to know the details. How could you anticipate how much you need right now? I don't wanna make too much food. I don't wanna make too little food. I don't care if I didn't pay for it. I don't wanna be wasteful. Just show me. How many apple pies? I remember there was an incident with the apple pies. Make some apple pies. How many? Just make apple pies. Just tell me six. The machine only holds six. Okay, I'll fill up the machine. And if I remember correctly, I don't know if I was right on that. My point is this, I didn't like that job because I didn't know what was expected. I didn't know the details about what they all required of me. And I thought for an organization that's got, you know, 5,000 billion stores throughout the world, they'd have a little more structure than that. When it comes to being a Christian, the details matter because there's a lot of folks, especially in our country, who, who think that they're Christians, but they're not not because i don't say that they are but because they don't meet the biblical criteria for what it means to be a christian they might think going to church makes them a christian it does not they might think praying makes them a christian it does not it might they might think that giving makes them a christian it does not they might think they're american so they're christian that doesn't make you christian my parents went to church my grandparents served in the church that doesn't make you a christian so what does it mean to be a Christian. Let me write, Let me read to you what Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 10. Verse five says, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. And so Paul goes back to the Old Testament and says, look, he starts off, what we're what we're in need of is the righteousness so that we pass sort of that litmus test of the Lord. Isaiah chapter, I think it's 52, or 55, I can never remember, says that we, our our rags, our our righteous, our self-righteousness hangs on us like filthy rags. So when we go to God, I gave so much, I served so much, I, I went to church this many times. Rags. The righteousness that we need to stand before God is not found in ourselves or what we can do. And for some of you, that's frustrating because you just want to, you want something tangible. You just want to do something that confirms that you're a Christian and the word will just confound you and say, it's not in something that you do physically. Verse six says, but the righteous is based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In just a few short verses, Paul outlines the criteria of what it means to be a Christian or what the qualifications of being a Christian. is not in how much you serve. It's not in how much you give. It's not in how much you love. It's not in how many times you go to church or what direction you face when you pray. You ever seen a, a, a prayer shawl? I think prayer shawls are, are a beautiful thing. You put them over your head and you pray, but there's no criteria in the word that says you have to do it that way to please God. And so, What does Paul say? Paul says, look, if you believe in your heart and if you confess with your mouth, he covers both the heart and the mind all in one fell swoop. If you believe that he is Lord and if you confess with your mouth that he's the son of God raised from the dead, then you are saved. There is no work you can do. There is no amount you can give. There's no number of days you can attend church that will make you any more loved than if you come to the Lord in faith saying that you are my God. I believe that you are the son of God raised from the dead died for my sins. And I am now standing in your righteousness, not my own. This is the epitome of what it means to be a Christian. From there, the Bible speaks of how now in that place we are called to good works So whereas before, let's look at Jesus as kind of like the middle point of our life. Before him, all of our works are like beating our head up against a brick wall, never reaching Jesus. But then once we meet Jesus, we're now called to do these good works and now we're powered and enabled by him to do them. He now develops in us a love for people that are unlovable, to serve people that'll never pay us back and never love us back, but will simply do so because he's called us to do it he will give us the strength to do it the means to do it and the joy to do it he will give us as james says the wisdom to live our daily life to ask him for wisdom and he'll give it to us without without hesitating i always picture god like in heaven just like waiting for people to ask for wisdom so he can just dump a bucket of wisdom on our head he just finds such great joy in giving that to us immediately and wanting us to be wise to, to because we're acting on, on, on his behalf. We're acting in his name. Paul says there, there's no difference between Jew or Greek. N- nobody has a head start. Nobody's, nobody's ahead of the game. Everybody's starting from the same spot and everybody needs Jesus. And so today, most of us, hey, most of us, we're, we're, we're Gentiles. We don't understand Jewish life, at least not to the degree that the Old Testament folks did. And it's interesting and it's fun to learn, but, but Paul says, look, it's not about being more Jewish. It's about being more like Jesus. It's not about being more Gentile. It's about being more like Jesus. We establish this all by faith. That in the Protestant Reformation, you know, the, the Catholic Church was kind of in, in charge for a good you know 1,500 years. And, and at one point, it just got out of hand. So a man by the name of Martin Luther uh, wrote up something called the 95 theses and and he, and he wrote these 95 kind of problems that he saw with the Catholic church and he nailed it on the Wittenberg door, the Wittenberg church door and he left the church and started what we know as the Protestant Reformation. Protestant meaning protest. Reformation meaning reform, to make again. And from that were derived these things called the five solas. And one of those solas is sola fide by faith alone. Today, church, we're not justified by anything we've done. We're not more loved by Christ by the things we do. We are so loved by him because we've put our faith in his son, Jesus. Today, you are saved from eternal damnation, not because you've done good things, but because you've trusted in Jesus. Today, you will start eternal life right now, not because you've done great things, but because Jesus has done something great. You today can have the life that he died to give you by putting your faith in his life. John says that those who left, they weren't Christians who abandoned the faith. They were, huh? Your cat needs moving? Okay. She's she's perfectly fine. I'm gonna make her preach in a second though. <laughs> all right. Where was I? Let me go back to my notes. Cute kids, cute kids and, and sermons go hand in hand. Oh yeah, so he says, look, they went out from us because they were never really of us. A really good example of that is Judas. You got 11 disciples, they're all faithful. I mean, they all abandoned Jesus at one point, but they don't, turn him in. They don't betray him. They don't come back and try to kiss him on the cheek to identify who he is to the Roman authorities or to the, you know, the spiritual authorities of the time. Judas was never really part of the group. Peter pointed out he used to steal from the treasury. He was, he was kind of skimming off the top and, you know, saving that for himself. Jesus called him, he followed Jesus, and then he left Jesus because he never really was of Jesus. Not everybody who leaves South Bay Chapel is not of Christianity. They'll leave and that's okay. But there are gonna be some folks who will leave over division of doctrine and we will always side with what the word of God says. And if the word of God says one thing and somebody else preaches another, thank you, kind sir, have a good day, but we're gonna stay on this side of the line because this is what the word of God says. And you have all the right that you have in this country to go and serve and to love and to teach that thing, but you cannot do so here because that is not the truth of Jesus. In verse 24, John says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the son and in the father. See, John he makes things so complicated by making things so easy. If, he, if, they, if the writers of the Bible would just say, hey, do this and do that and then you'll be saved, I think we'd all, we'd all rest a little easier at night, wouldn't we? We'd just be like, okay, I did one, two, and three. I'm good. I can go about my day. You know, I, can, I, can, I repented of my sin. I, I, I did a good deed for the day and I paid it forward. I, I did all these things. I'm good now. You know, I said my prayer, I faced this direction. It was five minutes long, 10 minutes long, 15 minutes. And okay, my checklist is done. But instead of giving us a checklist, John says, look, what did you hear at the beginning? What, what was the first thing? What was the thing that opened your eyes to Jesus? What was the thing that got you to that place of Romans 10 where you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart? That's the thing that you should be remembering. John is referring back to specifically what he taught them about Jesus. Remember him being a disciple, walking with Jesus, being the disciple whom Jesus loved, leaning on him at the Last Supper. I mean, John had the first row seat to a lot of stuff that a lot of other people didn't. He was one of the big three, Peter, James, and John. When you hear those names in the New Testament, this is the John that they're referring to. He was there at the Mount of Transfiguration. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. And he was there the day when Jesus was crucified, took care of Jesus' mother, and he says, look, we're not coming to teach you something different. And, and Paul will have to address the same thing in the letters that he wrote. He says, Paul even says, if I come preaching to you something else other than the gospel, even if I claim the angels told me it, don't believe me. Remember what I told you from the beginning. Remember the consistency of the word. Remember the consistency of what we've told you. And John says, look, if, 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 if this abides in you, then you abide in the Father. It's this mutual residency of you being in Jesus and Jesus being in you. It's where I think we get the concept of asking Jesus into our heart from. I I think that's where that kind of stems from. Jesus abiding in us and we abiding in his word and that sort of, that symbiotic relationship existing always. Today, you don't exist apart from Christ, you exist because of Christ. This is your new house, this is your new domain. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. See, one of the the claims of non-Christians, atheists usually, or agnostics is, there's a lot of contradictions in the Bible. Have yet to, after reading the Bible through a few times, have yet to find any of them worth noting. Um, But what I keep saying is consistency. I see John, 40 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, teaching the same things that Jesus taught. He's saying, look, abide abide in what you were taught and you will abide in him. It's the same thing Jesus is saying in John chapter 14. John heard that then and shares it with the church again. He's being consistent and teaching the same thing. And the result of all this is eternal life. And sometimes eternal life is kind of like that prize in the claw machine. You ever see the prize in the claw machine? Uh, you see the prize in the claw machine, you're walking by, and maybe this is just me, but me and the kids, we love the claw machine. Rigged as all get out, but that's besides the point. We love the claw machine. You go by and you see something, and like it catches your eye. and like, hey, that's a pretty neat stuffed animal. That's, a, that's an SU, that's an official SU mini basketball. That costs upwards of $5, but I'm going to spend 25 in this machine right now trying to win it. Ridiculous, right? Because those prizes, for the most part, are unwinnable. Sometimes you get lucky and you win something, but eternal life is kind of always in that place of the claw machine. Like, you know it's there, but it just seems out of reach. It seems like, well, it's not really pertinent now. It's, yes, one day it will matter, but right now it's not as important. I'm here to tell you that that is a very sad way to look at eternal life. When you understand that Jesus died, gave his life, nailed to a cross, beaten and tortured so that you might attain eternal life, you start to see eternal life in a different way. Not in a way motivated by guilt. Well, I better like it because Jesus suffered for it. No, what I mean is what a great price he paid so that I might have eternal life. And here's why I think sometimes eternal life is like, oh, it's okay for then, but right now it's not as pertinent. Because eternal life is not just eternal life. It's eternal life with Jesus. See, a lot of us think, oh, I'm just not going to die because I've trusted in Jesus. No, you're going to eternally be with Christ. You'll never be separated from him. You will spend the rest of your life with him. When we preach about and teach about eternal life, it's not just living forever. It's living forever in Christ. This is why the Bible speaks about us being bought with a price. Why us, why we've been adopted as children. You don't adopt a child and then turn them loose on their own. You adopt a child and you bring them into your family and you make them yours. And that's what Christ has done for us. That's the promise that we are given. Matthew 7 and 13 says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, but those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. I love, you know, the, 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 the New Testament writers call it eternal life, but I find most often Jesus just calls it life. He doesn't differentiate between the two. And that's not to say one's right and one's wrong. It's to say that f- from Jesus' perspective, life is life. Eternal life and life, it's the same thing. And as you read the Bible and as you go through the doctrine that's taught, You realize everybody has eternal life, but it's eternal life with him that's given to us through Christ. Some of us will spend eternity in hell and some of us will spend eternity with Christ. It's an eternity either way. And I'm not big on scare tactics and scaring you with hell and that sort of thing because number one, I think we've seen things in this world now that are even scarier, at least in ways that I can describe it. I don't think it's really scarier than hell, but just look at what ISIS has done and just look at the things that we go through every day it's hard to preach hell in these times. But I'm here to tell you that the life that Christ has given you is eternal life with him. John 14 and six says that Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And lastly, in Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, there's no, It's not like other religions where we're promised so many things in heaven that we'll have to enjoy, earthly pleasures that we'll enjoy there. We're promised Jesus, that's it. We're promised that he'll wipe away every tear, that everything will be healed and and all things will be made right, but, but ultimately all these things are made so because Jesus. And so I don't know how many people we gain into the kingdom by just giving them Jesus. But I know that when we do that, we develop people that are described here in 1 John, ones that come and then they stay. They don't leave and chase another doctrine that's just another wave of the ocean or, or a breeze going through. They come in and they know Christ. Today, I come to you, I, I'm filled with joy, not be, excuse me. not because all these great things are happening in my life. I mean, The St. Baldrick's thing is pretty fun. Don't get me wrong. That's enough to fill me with joy. But my joy always must be rooted in Christ and who he is and how he has made me. If my joy is in anything else, anything else can go away. Your car, your house, your family, your kids, they can all be taken away in the blink of an eye. If you read a story like Job, you realize it can happen sooner than you think. And it's not that losing those things won't be devastating. That's not the point. The point is, When you have Christ and when he holds you, truly you lose nothing because you'll always have him. When he is your greatest joy, when he is your greatest treasure, when he is your all in all, what can the world do to you anymore? Inflict a little bit of pain? Take away some stuff? What can Satan do to you? Taunt you? Threaten you? So what? You've got Jesus. And you know that if these things are happening, then God must be using them for your good, because that's what Romans 8 and 28 says. That even when Satan attacks, or the world comes after you, or, or your body fails you, or the money runs out, that God's using that. That God is not taken aback like, whoa, what happened to all your money, Tony? What, I don't know what you're gonna do now, you better go find some other way to make money. Or hey, Tony, you got sick, that wasn't in my plan. What are you gonna do about that church? Blah, blah, blah. You know, God's just I, I I look at my life and I look at the ups and the downs and say, God's using it all. God's gonna use the good, he's gonna use the bad, he's gonna use the ugly, he's gonna use it all for his glory and for my good. And so in those times of trying, that's where I focus. Okay, Lord, what do I do? What do I do now? This is happening. This is the affliction I'm going through. This is, the, this is the trial that I'm in, you know, paint it all up, make it sound Christian. But honestly, Lord, this hurts and I don't like it. How do I get it to end? That's usually what I'm saying. And what I'm finding is that he's using those things to make me stronger, to refine me, and to make me more like him. Because when he says that that path is narrow and that gate is narrow, he's not kidding. When the way of destruction is easy, he says... Isn't it so easy to sin? I mean, maybe now you've got maybe some guilt or conviction in there, but I mean, it's just easy. You just, you drive down the street and just stop somewhere and sin. Good stuff, bad stuff, doesn't matter. I'm not even talking about like porn or alcohol. I'm talking about just like, let's just go blow all your money on a bunch of stuff to make you feel good for 30 minutes. I'm just talking about flirting with the cashier a little bit because it makes you feel attractive again. You know, sending a text message to a girl that, or a guy that, you know, is not your husband or wife just because, you know, they understand you. It's so simple. The, the threat is there constantly, but Jesus warns us, no, no, no. Get off that path. Get off that way. Get onto the way that is my way, the, the straight and narrow. And yes, it will be hard. And there are times where you're led into the valley of the shadow of death but Jesus is with you. And you make it through. And you come out the other side victorious. You're like Rocky on the steps of the the thing and you're jumping up and down. Yeah. Da-da-da. Da-da-da. Don't make me do the whole song. Cuz I will till it's appropriate. Um But Jesus said this is this is this is life. The life that you have in Christ will be infinitely better it's not even it's not even worth comparing to your old life it's infinitely better because you have him it doesn't mean things are always good it doesn't mean there's never pain it means that in the midst of that pain and when things go bad you've got christ and a hope in him to see you through it all this because of what jesus did on the cross all of this available to us because jesus took our punishment for us all of this available because he gave his life, he said he lays it down for his sheep and he took it back up again. And so how do you respond? Again, I go back to my McDonald's example. There's, an, there's a response that's required from this. The, the saddest thing that I will ever hear is that I relayed a lot of good information, but I never delivered the message that the Lord wanted you guys to hear on Sunday mornings. I believe the message we need to hear today is that we are all different. That's okay. But more than that, we must be united on what the truth is. And the truth is found in the word and nowhere else. And so I am always open to healthy, edifying, loving debate. Hey, Pastor Shoney, I want to talk to you about this. Sure, let's talk about it. Let's talk it up. Let's do it. Let's go get coffee. Let's drink coffee while we talk about it. Because honestly, there are a few things as fun as, as that in my life, really. It's just, I love it. Um, so don't, do not hear, never question the authority of the pastors of South Bay Chapel. That is not what we are preaching or teaching at all. All of us, all the pastors here, me, Pastor Mike, Pastor Ben, we are, we are all open to, to talk to you about what the word of God says and we will respect you and we just ask for that in return. But all of this demands a response. How will you respond today? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you, trust, have you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart? This is the, the only real requirement that there is. And someone will say, well, you know, you gotta tell them not to do this or not to do that. No, no, no. Jesus is gonna do that with you. Well, I, can, I, can I keep sinning? No, Jesus will tell you really quick, stop doing this or stop doing that. And if he doesn't tell you to stop, then you must be okay with it. But I would run it by him first. Well, do I have to stop drinking? I don't know. Are you a drunk? You know, if you drink one glass of wine every six months, I'm guessing the word kind of confirms that that's okay. But if you have to drink, have a drink, uh, uh, you have to have a glass of wine before you go to church and and before you, you know, have a meal and before you watch a TV show and after you watch a TV show and, you know, it's turning into more like a bottle or two, I mean, then maybe you have a problem. You know, maybe, well, should I stop smoking? I don't know. Could you give it up for a month and not die? I mean, I haven't known a a person who smoked who could do that. It's not really one of those things you just put down and take back up. Well, do I have to give up this? Do I have to give up that? I don't know. Has it got its claws in your heart? Does it sit in the place of where Jesus is supposed to be? Well, then maybe there's a problem. If I, if I said, hey, give up, give up alcohol right now for a month, could you do that and not even flinch? I, I could do that, and I'm not bragging. I just, I don't really care for alcohol, so it doesn't really bother me. Like if you said, hey, Tony, you better not drink alcohol. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll try, it'll be really hard, but whatever. That's not my thing. If you said, Tony, don't eat donuts for a month, I'd be like, oh. Oh, you got me there. Oh, my gosh. You know, Tony, don't, don't, watch, don't watch Netflix for a month. Oh, gosh, why? You are the devil. See, because everybody's got their thing. And your thing, you know, Netflix isn't bad. Donuts aren't bad by themselves. But when they're in the wrong place, they become bad things. So your response is, Lord... It's the same response David had, created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Show me, am I just a Christian by name? Am I just a Christian by these other prerequisites? Or am I a Christian, a Christ follower, a little Christ based on what the word says? Do I truly believe in my heart and have I confessed within my mouth that you are my Lord? And if you haven't today, your response should be, Lord, you are my God. Jesus, you are my Messiah, you are my Christ. You're not, just, you're not just a savior, you're my savior. Your response should be, Lord, I have sinned. I've done X, Y, and Z, and I know what's wrong, and I'm here to just lay down my life to you. Romans 12 speaks about us being uh, presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, just laying ourselves down. We don't bring a sacrifice, we just bring ourselves and lay down at the feet of Jesus to watch him just pick us up, Make us new. Cause us to be born again and to have us start walking that narrow path. If there's sin you need to confess, I would be busy doing that today. Knowing that Jesus hasn't caused you, called you to do that to make you feel guilty, he's done that to liberate you. You ever confess sin before? It's scary. Sometimes it hurts. But you do it and it's like the weight of the world has been taken off your shoulders. You're like, oh that burden, that that darkness, that that heaviness has just lifted off of me and, and and I still have to make things right and I don't know what's gonna happen, but it's been exposed by the light of Jesus Christ. So church, if that's what you need to do today, confess to the Lord the things that you've done. Confess that he is your Lord and your savior. And Paul says, no one who calls on the name of the Lord will be put to shame. That means if you do this, you will not end up one day before Christ and he won't be like, Who's this? He will find him one day and like the prodigal coming home, he will wrap his arms around you, welcoming you home to the continuation of the eternal life that he gave you on the day where you confessed him. So let's stand. I figure the more I preach, the more time I have before I shave my head. (laughs) But I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you to read your word, Go home tonight, don't just let these things kind of fall out of your head as you go out, but go back to the word and question and ask the Lord and pray that he would lead you through this. Lord, we praise you. And Lord, there is, there is so much to be said in such a short amount of time, but Lord, I'm praying today for each and every person here today that if we've come to a place where you've challenged us in our faith, whether we truly are, christian if we truly are following you as you have prescribed in your word lord then i'm praying that you would lead us not just to that point but lead us to where we do confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that this would not just be a, a momentary thing but this would be something that is our life from here on out lord that as we are born again that we would be changed by your spirit and in the infilling thereof that we would know the joy that comes from being united with you we thank you, Lord, for what you've done to make us brand new. And today, Lord, for your church, if anybody who, who hasn't done that, if they do that today, Lord, we rejoice. Give them eyes to see and ears to hear the word of God. We praise you today. May you be high and lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I promised you we'd start at 12. It's five.